Greetings and welcome to episode number 32 of the Chirping the Cats podcast. I'm your host, David Dwork, and uh, we've just passed about the halfway point of the NHL season, and the Panthers right now kind of have a comfortable lead on the, uh, I guess, playoff bubble, if you want to call it, with uh, an 11-point lead on fifth-place Columbus uh, with one game at hand. And they're also still in that fight for first place as well uh, with Tampa. So joining me right now is somebody who has a front-row seat to all the action, Panthers uh, play-by-play radio voice Doug Plagans is here. So Doug, w- welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's good to have you. Um, how many seasons have you been the play-by-play radio voice now for the team? This is number six and it's flying by. Sometimes I have to sit there and, and, and like I have to go back and count them again because I'm like, there's no way it can already be six years. But I mean, this is already uh, season number six. 15-16 was my first season. Wow. So, so that was a pretty awesome season for it to be your first one. I mean, you got to be a part of some pretty historic calls. Do yeah, the 12 game win streak, Yager, Luongo, the whole thing. Yeah. Did any of the calls from that year stand out in your mind? I mean, I think just the 12 game win streak as a whole um, really jumps out because I mean, that was, that was just, uh, it just one way or another, every night, the Panthers were just finding a way to win. And, uh, and it was really just, that was it was just the way it all clicked, the way it took off, uh, you know, started on a road trip with a win over the Islanders and the, the win streak just continued. But I think when I think back to uh, that season and really the uh, first, you know, my first few seasons with the Panthers, actually my, my first four uh, Luongo was, was there for, and then uh, obviously he's obviously still, uh, still in the picture with the Panthers, you know, in a, in a front office and executive role, but um, he was playing the first four years I was there and, and Yager was there the first couple of years that I was with the Panthers. And I've mentioned this before, but obviously when you, you know, those two had played for so long and been at such an elite level for so long. And when you watch games from afar or, you know, see games on television, or if you have a chance to watch, if you had a chance to watch those guys play in person, you always knew that they were, you know, those were all-time great type talents when you saw Luongo and, and Yager. But when I had a chance to see the two of them go about their business every single day, and not just on game days, you're talking on practice days too, and the way that they did the extra work and the way they were so dedicated to their crafts and the, the preparation that they put in, um, it's no wonder that they were both not only all-time great players, as I mentioned, but that they were able to be elite for so long. And it was just really cool to be able to see, um, you know, to be able to see them play every night for, you know, for, for multiple seasons and um, be able to see it up close. And it felt like every night there, we were having to keep an eye on a different milestone for one of them or both of them, because it felt like every night, one of them was achieving some, you know, crazy number, some crazy stat, some crazy milestone. So, um, you know, those are, those are some of the things that really come to mind from my first, uh, my first couple of seasons. And, um, you know, just again, being able to see uh, Yarmir Yager and Roberto Luongo up close, go about their business. I think that was, those are some of the things that really stand out for me from my, my early tenure with the Panthers. Crazy now that I've been with the team long enough and I'm thankful for it every single day but I've been with the team long enough now that I can break it down to the early stages of my time with the Panthers, you know, compared to, 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 uh, you know, now here in uh, season number six. So it's been, like I said, it's the the long and short of it. It's been a a dream come true every day. But uh, again, sometimes I have to remind myself that it has been six years already. 
know, hopefully it's still the best yet to come. But um, you talk about guys like Luongo and Yager that, that came to work every day and that really put it in. And maybe then more than any other time in your tenure with the team is we see a, a room full of those guys right now. And uh, really, like when you talk about guys like Hornquest coming in or Gudas yeah. uh, meshing with a guy like Barkov, who's very much a lead by example guy, you're really you're seeing on the ice the, the difference that guys like that make. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, like my first my first season would have been Barkov's third season in the league, and even at that point, I remember seeing him play as his you know third year in the league, and that was kind of the year it felt like he he really uh, you know we really started to see that like, this was, this guy is a top, this is a top player in the national hockey league. He does it all. And, um, you know, Ekblad, obviously when I got to the team, he was, he was still, uh, he wasn't even 20 years old yet. He was, uh, still, a still a teenager at that point in time. And, um, you know, Jonathan Huberto was, you know, the, he, he's been, uh, you know, he's really turned into, to see all these guys turn into superstars before our very eyes. I mean, it's just been, it's been really cool to see, and you could tell even back then, like the, the talent that these players, these core players that have now been in the picture for a long time, the talent they had was just off the charts. And it's been really awesome to see them develop. I think, you know, from, from, uh, from my perspective, just, you know, being involved in pro hockey now for over a decade, seeing, uh, seeing guys take next steps in their career and seeing, you know, guys really, uh, you know, blossom into, into star players. It's something that, you know, it's, it's like, it, it never, that part of it just, it just never gets old seeing guys, uh, you know, ascend and take that next step in their career. It's just been really awesome to see, you know, those three guys specifically just turn into star players before our eyes. And then um, you mentioned some of the new guys that have, have come in. And I think uh, all of us look at Patrick Hornquist just as, I mean, what a move by uh, by Bill Zito to bring in Patrick Hornquist, and it was really the first the first move he made, and uh, that trade to get Patrick Hornquist, and the you can tell just the the attitude that he brings every single day, and just the the fire, the you know the competitiveness with which he plays the game, um, you can tell it's it's rubbed off on on the whole group. He's just uh, and a guy who's accomplished so much, and you just have to admire the way he goes out and plays the game it's just uh, the intensity level he brings every single day it's just so much fun and then uh and then Radko Gudis uh, another new guy that's come in and I love when Joel Quenville said he brings a uh, bite and personality to the to the Panthers blue line and I think it's the best way to describe it I think those two things uh you know definitely come to mind first when you look at Radko Gudis but you go right down the list and you see it every day too at practice and you know watching the teams watching the team play but um, it's amazing what, uh, what Panthers general manager Bill, Z Bill Zito did in a, a short period of time to bring in guys like, like Verhage and Duclair. And, you know, we've already mentioned Hornquist and, uh, Radko Gudis and, uh, you know, Gustav Forsling showing up, uh, you know, getting him from Carolina off waivers, uh, really hours before training camp started basically. And now he's come in and solidified himself as a, as a top player and you go right down the list I mean there's every guy that's been that's been picked up every guy that was brought in before the season has you know made a mark made a contribution in some way and it speaks volumes to what uh you know Bill Zito and his hockey staff in terms of the the talent evaluation also just further illustration of why Joel Quenville is one of the best head coaches in the history of the game because he's able to get everybody into the mix get everybody into situations where they can succeed 
and he's able to do so with, you know, half a roster that is still pretty new to, to being teammates with each other. I mean, uh, you know, these are guys that are, you know, in a normal conventional 82 game season, wouldn't even be to a halfway point yet. And they already look like they've been playing together for years. The chemistry is just really taken off with this team. And I think, um, you know, Joel Quenville and his staff, Bill Zito and his staff uh, deserve a ton of credit for that. Yeah. It's almost inconceivable for Zito to come in, be on the job for maybe a couple of weeks and not only like make a, you talk about the move he made, the first move he made to bring in Hornquist for, uh, for Mike Matheson and Colton Sevier, but seems like every move he made, like the person that he brought in is producting has a role with this team. Like yeah. he brought in players that fit what Joel Quenville is trying to do perfectly. He brought in 200 foot players that come to, he, he kept saying when he brought in the guys, I brought guys who come to work every day, guys that know how to win professionals. And like what you're saying with that chemistry that's building, these guys knew exactly what they were coming to work for. And I think for Zito to come in and to have that kind of a touch on what Q wanted, it's, it's amazing. And you have to think he's going to be up for some kind of award after that. I've, he's done an unbelievable job. No question about that. Um, you know, the Bill Zito and his staff, Joel Quenville and his staff, they've, they pushed all the right buttons uh, this season. And you look at what, uh, you, you know, as far as the personnel that's come in and in a season like this, I mean, we knew that depth was going to be important uh, with a condensed schedule, um, you know, playing, playing every other night. Uh, you knew that organizational depth this year was going to be just paramount. And the Panthers have been able to have depth at every position. It's fueled healthy competition, um, you know, across the board. And, and like I said, uh, Joel Quenville's had a real knack for, you know, when to, when to move guys in and out. Uh, the Panthers have really used the, the taxi squad to, to their advantage this season. And it's, it's again, it's just, it's just amazing the results that, uh, that they've been able to get this season just uh, with, a, with a group that is, again, largely still a lot of guys that are still getting used to each other. But, you know, when you, when you are put in situations to succeed like they have been, uh, you know, it really speaks volumes to the coaching ability of, uh, of Joel Quenville. And also when you continue to get positive results like the Panthers have been much more often than not, um, that's also going to build chemistry too. And so the, the, the record is going to uh, help that chemistry develop. No doubt about that. The Panthers find themselves in a, in a great spot. And you can tell that the guys are having fun coming to the rink every day, being right in the thick of this, this playoff race and this race for the top spot in the division. Yeah. And looking at the way it's shaking out in the division, it looks like Florida is going to have a playoff series either against Tampa or Carolina in their future. Uh, as it's starting to, to shake out, let's say Tampa may be pulling away a little bit and Florida and Carolina are kind of in the middle. But uh, honestly, every time I've seen them play these teams, which are kind of the measuring stick teams in the division, I get excited because they play each other so well and the games are really exciting. So when you think about the, the prospect of a playoff series, like, I don't know about you, but it gets my hockey juices flowing. I mean, when you look at the, uh, when you just look at the way these teams um, match up and, you know, if there's, if there was ever a time, if you have anybody, if anybody tuned in out there knows a, a sports fan in their, in their life that maybe is a hockey novice, maybe they tune in from time to time, maybe they're still learning the game. If you want to show somebody, uh, you know, if you want to show somebody an example of hockey that might get them hooked, 
have them tune in the next time the Panthers play Tampa or the next time the Panthers play Carolina because the entertainment value is going to be off the charts and it's only going to get better when you get closer to the playoffs because all these teams know what's at stake. And let's not forget, I mean, the just Tampa Bay, for example, yeah, they've, they've started to build a little bit of a gap atop the division, but the Panthers still play them four times. And if we've learned anything over the course of the last uh, few years here, especially when those two teams get together, it's, it's the old cliche, but you really can throw the records out the window. And, uh, and wouldn't that be something? I mean, there's a chance that it could shake out that, uh, you know, there's a chance to shake out with the Panthers playing their last three games of the season against the lightning and then going right into a playoff series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, that, that's, oh that's something that could happen or, you know, at the, but at the same time, the Panthers are, they're making a run at this uh, top spot in the central division. It's very much still up for grabs and the Panthers, you know, the thing with the, with the head-to-head matchups, they still have the head-to-head matchups against Tampa and Carolina, which could be advantageous if you win those games. But the Panthers have also done a really good job this season of maintaining very good records against the, you know, the teams that they're trying to separate themselves from, the teams below them in the standings. The Panthers have uh, done a great job going out and taking care of business in the games that they need to take care of business in. And, and that's a big reason they put themselves in the spot where they are. And that's in this three-team top tier that's developed in the Central with the Panthers, the Hurricanes, and the Lightning. Yeah, it'll be a nice change, I guess. Uh... Most seasons, it feels almost lucky to be in that playoff race at the end and kind of hope hope to get in. And this year, it's, the, you know, not to sound cocky or anything, but it does kind of feel like a almost a foregone conclusion that they should absolutely be in the playoffs. And it's just a matter of how high are they going to be seated and who are they going to play against? Well, that's and that's the way it's shaken out. The Panthers have they've earned that they've 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 yeah. positioned themselves as a as a top team in the in the division. Um, you know, everybody across the league has taken notice and you could tell just the the confidence and the swagger that this team plays with they're they come to the arena every day with uh you know with a with a high standard that they're holding themselves to and they're coming in every day with the the expectation that uh you know this team is is going to compete for a division title and and you know the other thing about this season and it's a it's a bigger picture thing that may you know maybe we could get to down the road but uh but this season that the panthers are having right now this is kind of a I look at it almost as like a a foundational season. I mean, this is the team going to a height where, you know, they're, they're putting themselves into the mix as a, as a playoff team and a team contending for a division title. And they're positioning themselves as a a team that's going to be in this mix for, uh, you know, a long time to come. And I think, uh, you know, this is the, this is kind of the the foundational season where the Panthers just uh, burst on the scene here and, um, and I think we're going to see this team, like I said, in this position they're in right now, contending for division titles for the next uh, number of years. And, and a team that looks like it's uh, not only this year, but in the future, going to have the ability to uh, not only be a, a perennial playoff team, but a team that can make noise when they get there. Yeah, you, you have that confidence at this point. We've felt for a while now that the team should be at this point. Like they've had talent in place for several years now. So to, to kind of have that clicking with the the front office and the the way that the Bill Zito regime is kind of flown out of the gate uh, to the success that they have it, you know, hopefully they have rounded that corner. Um, and, and I kind of want to switch gears at this point and uh, talk a little bit more about you, Doug Plagans, because uh, I don't know how well Panthers fans may, may know Doug Plagans, the man behind the mic, but um, we've talked a little bit about it, but I'd like to kind of hear you. I know you got your start in broadcasting at a young age. Uh, yep. I, Pretty sure you said you're from the Michigan area. 
right? Detroit. Yeah, from uh, just just outside of Detroit, suburbs of Detroit, Trenton, Michigan. Okay, so how exactly did you get your start down the path of broadcasting? So broadcasting was always something I thought I wanted to do. It was pro- probably when I was about six or seven years old. I knew that it would be cool to play in the National Hockey League, but I knew that was easier said than done. Um, You know, I I realized that when I was about first or second grade, that uh, it was a very lofty goal to set for yourself. So um, I kind of shifted my focus and thought, you know, something in broadcast. The first thing I ever wanted to be was a weatherman. And... Then, uh, because when I was like in first or second grade, I really got in this thing. I still do. I'll still turn it on as my background. I will sit and watch the Weather Channel. Really enjoy it. And I did back then too. This might sound weird, but yes, I was about six or seven years old just sitting there watching the Weather Channel. Um, So I thought I wanted to be weatherman. As school went on, science wasn't really my thing. And obviously that is a key part of the whole weather. Important. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't really, so I've kind of be, I've kind of over the years, just, you know, been a weather fan, just a fan of weather, but uh, it was shortly after that probably, you know, I was always into sports and I'd say by the time I was in like first or second grade too, same kind of thing, you could just put me in front of the TV and it could be any sporting event that you could think of. I mean, it could be a Saturday afternoon with two unranked college basketball teams playing against each other. And I'd sit there and just watch the whole thing. And by the end of the game, I'd know who all the players were. And, um, you know, I'd be able to, and I was just, just into it. So as time went on, uh, just real, the, the broadcasting thing was something that just really intrigued me. And obviously I grew up and, and hockey was the sport that I played growing up being from Detroit, it's just what you do. And my earliest memories, like the, some of the earliest voices I can remember hearing in my life were those of Dave Strader and Mickey Redmond doing Red Wings games on television. And those, uh, so, I mean, needless to say, the two of them, two of my all-time favorites on the air as well. And, uh, and very fortunate to have had a chance to uh, to meet both of them. Obviously, uh, Dave no longer with us, but uh, but Mickey Redmond get a chance to see him. Um, you know, in in a normal season when we're on the road and teams are traveling and broadcasters are traveling, I've had a chance to to talk to Mickey uh, a good That's amount. Cool. It's just uh, it's just awesome to be able to to chat with a guy that I grew up watching on television. So um, it's you know, it, though, like I said, those were some of the first voices that I remember hearing in my life. So naturally sports broadcasting and we were very spoiled um in the detroit area because not only did we have you know the two that i've mentioned but we had you know bruce martin doing red wing games until the mid 90s when ken cal took over and uh, it's and ken cal and paul paul woods doing color on the radio i mean that was another one of the voices i remember from my early childhood and then ken cal of course he's been there since the mid 90s so i grew up listening to him and then ken daniels on television as well he got there in 97. So I, the fact that I've had a chance to bump into all these guys and get to know them all uh, professionally has just been, you know, it's been a thrill because those are guys that helped me to, you know, the broadcasters that I grew up with, those are guys that helped me develop my love for the game and helped me develop my love for sports. And then you had, back then we had Ernie Harwell doing Tiger games on the radio and he was just legendary. I mean, they don't make them like that anymore. And the fact that I had a chance to grow up and become a baseball fan with Ernie Harwell being the soundtrack to my summer, basically was, it, we were very spoiled as far as that. concerned. Yeah. So it was, uh, 
it was a special, special time. And those are guys that helped me develop my love for the sport. And then obviously growing up in the nineties in the Detroit area, the Red Wings had so many great teams and so many hall of fame players. And, um, you know, I was there when they won the cup in 97 and 02. And those are the teams. It's, it's funny because people always ask me about, you know, you grew up a, you grew up a Red Wings fan. Like, yeah. I, I would not, tr- I would not trade that my Red Wings fandom I had as a, as a kid, I wouldn't trade it for anything because those were the teams that really reinforced my love for the sport. I mean, that was, those, those were, those were great teams to follow, you know, watching guys like Steve Eiserman and Nick Lidstrom and Sergey Fedorov and, you know, one of my all time favorites, Vladimir Konstantinov and, you know, all those guys, that was what reinforced my love for the game growing up. But to put it in perspective, the first time that I called a game at the Joe in 20, in in the 15, 16 season. Yeah. It was a thrill because I used to always go to games at the Joe. My family had season tickets. I'd go to games at the Joe and I'd look up at their press box and I'd just think like, I wonder what's going on up there. I wish I could go up (laughs) there and see what's going on. Like I was all all intrigued by it because you could see it. But the first time we played at the Joe in 1516 this is again like when you when you work for a team when you're the voice of a team the level of emotional investment you have goes deeper and further than any fandom you could ever express and that's why i say like my red wings fandom i had as a kid growing up i wouldn't trade it for anything helped me love the sport but i mean when, when I became the voice of the Panthers, it was, you know, Panthers, full-on Panthers through and through. And to put it in perspective, to illustrate it, my first game at the Joe, there was my dad, who was a lifelong Red Wings fan, season ticket holder for about 25 years, sitting there in a Florida Panthers shirt. That is awesome. And like I said, that's why it just, once you're, once you have that level of involvement, once you're once you're working for the team, in the case of my dad, once your son's working for the yeah. team, it goes further than any fandom that you could have had. No, for sure. And I mean, that just also goes to show the the bond, the father-son bond. Yes. On that can be as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a, like I said, it was a special thing for my dad. And I remember, I remember being at the game in uh, game four in 97 in the cup finals when the Red Wings swept Philadelphia. And I would, yeah, the Darren McCarty goal. And I was sitting there as a, I remember when the, when the final horn sounded and really throughout that game, um, I was at the game with my dad and I mean, I'm, I was in sixth grade and when you're in sixth grade, it was June of 97. So I was just about to turn 12. I had just turned 12. Um, it was shortly after my birthday. And when you're 12, when you're in sixth grade, your team winning the Stanley cup is it's the biggest thing that could happen in the whole world. Like there's really, you know, at that point in your life, there isn't anything bigger than that. Then that's you're... how old I was when the Panthers went to the final in 96, I was in uh, yep. seventh grade that year. So, you know, you know, you know what I'm describing when, oh, yeah. when you're that's, a kid, you know, and you that's, there's that's nothing turned me into the hockey person I am now. Yeah. But at the same time, I was, I remember being at the game with my dad and the last time the Red Wings had won a cup before that was 1955. My dad was born in 1955, but he was born in September. So I connected those dots in my head. I'm like, wow, I'm about to see something as a sixth grader that my dad has never seen in his lifetime. And, you know, it really hit me there. That was, uh, it made it all that much more special. It's crazy that like at that age, you could have that kind of a deep thought. Yeah. You know, it's pretty impressive. 
I've always been good with dates too. So I was probably intrigued by piecing it all together in my mind anyways, but uh, more of a math guy than a science guy, right? Yes, I guess to an extent. So when did you first start like your, your broadcasting career? Like how, yeah, how that was a really that? round. I just realized I covered a lot of ground there. That was a really roundabout tangent <laughs> answer for your first question, but no, it's great. Uh, I love the yeah, answer. It's, it's a podcast format. We're not on a clock. But we're good. As long you told me, as long as we're done before Seinfeld starts, we're, we're good. So yes, which uh, so we, we got plenty of time. We're good. good. The uh, <laughs> so my broadcasting started when I went to college. Would have been. Um, the fall of 03, I went to Lake Forest College just outside Chicago, about a half an hour north of Chicago, right on Lake Michigan, uh, small school, really cool place. And um, yeah, I started broadcasting on the, uh, on the college station and it was, I started doing just a, a DJ shift. Um, it was, uh, I was playing ska music for three hours a week, once a week. And because any, anybody who knows me, I'm a big music guy. Um, I love my I love my punk rock. I love my ska and I love my metal. And I've got I've gotten into some really like heavier stuff as I've gotten older. But that's total side conversation. But as uh, but I was playing ska music and there there was also we did some sports broadcasts. So I kind of started doing some stuff with the sports department there. And then when I was a sophomore, um, I started doing color commentary on the hockey broadcasts. And I was uh, so I would have been the. I would have been a sophomore. I filled in on play-by-play -play as a sophomore. So that would have been my first time doing hockey play-by-play. -play. And the guy who did the play-by-play, -play, who's two years older than me, Brian Ray, is the uh, pregame, postgame intermission host on Dallas Stars TV broadcasts. So, cool. uh, you know, pretty cool that a, a small school like Lake Forest College, when, when I went there, we only had like 1,400 students. Um, you know, that a, a small school like that produced two pro hockey broadcasters but uh <laughs> brian did the play-by-play -play. he was two years older than me so after my sophomore year he graduated so then going into my junior year i was doing play-by-play -play for hockey and football so um you know it was a really cool experience because it was a campus station it was one of those situations where you know it was like okay you want to do the play-by-play -play? here's the equipment have <laughs> at it kid. you know and it was a great way to learn um you know, I was, and we were doing, we did a lot of different sports broadcasts that year, but I handled all the hockey and football. And, uh, and then it was, and I did two years of that. And then uh, after I graduated from Lake Forest, I went to Syracuse and I got a, a master's in broadcast journalism. It was a 14 month program. And in the 07, 08 season, I interned for the Syracuse crunch of the American hockey league. And, uh, and that was during that year, I interned basically shadowed the then radio voice of the Syracuse Crunch, Bob McElligot, who's now been the uh, radio voice of the Blue Jackets for over a decade. So, it, the, I mean, he's been one of the most, one of, if not the most influential person in my career. He's somebody I've learned a ton from, and he's somebody who I consider a friend and a lifelong friend. And, uh, and another one of those guys that it's just awesome that I get to see him. Um, throughout the course of the season when uh, when the Panthers and the Blue Jackets play so he's just been again one of the most uh, important people in my career learned a ton from him basically shadowed him for for a full season and through interning for the uh, Syracuse Crunch I threw together a pretty nice demo and uh, the first uh, would have been the offseason uh, the offseason going into 0809 
I was, I had finished my program at Syracuse. Uh, we were getting late in the off season. I wasn't sure if there were going to be any more hockey play-by-play openings in the minor leagues, anything like that. But uh, in August, actually would have been, would have been in September, but early September, maybe the uh, Idaho Steelheads had an opening for a play-by-play announcer. Um, and I applied after a couple interviews, got that job. And that was my first season of pro hockey, 0809, uh, with the Idaho Steelheads in the ECHL. So, um, then that's, that was my, that was my start in pro hockey. And, uh, and it's, like I said, it's been, uh, so I, I've had kind of that, uh, that ECHL, AHL up to the NHL background. You worked your way up. Yep. Very cool, man. I mean, you talk about like some of the, the neat things that you get to see a lot of people when you travel and, and keep in touch, but uh, what would you say are some of your favorite parts of the job? I mean, it's, I mean, can you, it's, I'm not, not a cop-out answer, but everything, can I say everything? <laughs> it's, it's uh, there's too many things to just single out uh, one or two, I guess if I had to mention, talk about, you know, some of my favorite things um, first would just be, I mean, I, my thing is, it's just, I just love doing it. And as I always say, I, I really hope everybody out there enjoys listening as much as I enjoy doing the broadcasts, um, because it just, it just means a ton to be able to do it every single night. It's an honor to be able to call a game for people and uh, to be people's eyes and ears if they're uh, driving around in their car, not able to, to be at the game. It's just, uh, it's something that's just a thrill for me. And to be able to work with and call friends a lot of the great people that i've been able to work with over the years um you know it's i there are tons of people that i've come across and been able to learn so many things from so many different people and i mean i can just just mentioning right off the top i mean from the the day i got to the panthers um people who you know well dave like you know randy moeller bill Lindsay, steve goldstein you know uh going right through everybody that i've gotten to know denny pop yeah. i mean we, there have been so many great people on the broadcast side that i've been just privileged to get to know and you know also just you know across the board on the on the business side so many different great people and on the hockey side too um you know so many great people that i've had a chance to meet and work with and watch do their jobs on a day-to-day basis and uh you know so that and obviously the 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 travel and the the people that i've had the the ability to to meet throughout the travel and throughout just the the national hockey league circuit every year um it's like i said it's just uh it's one of those things where i you have to sit back and you know i've been i've been the the panther being being uh getting the opportunity to have to be the panthers play-by-play broadcaster has been just a every bit the dream come true that I hoped it would be. And uh, it's a, an opportunity that I'm still thankful for every single day. Yeah. Well, it, it's nice to hear, you know, obviously the appreciation, but I feel like um, the more people I've gotten to know, the more I've just realized that there's so many good people in this business, yes. whether it's, and you know, people that are in front of the camera and on the mic or it's behind the scenes, there are just so many genuinely good people that are just willing to talk to you and help you and just whatever. It's really cool to kind of like uh, brotherhood might not be the right word for it, but it's just something that I just appreciate being a part of. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really amazing. And like, and it's, it's really cool too. When you, you, when you get to meet people whose work you've admired for a long time. And then when you meet them, you realize that they're like an even better person than they are at their job and they're pretty awesome at their job. So you meet a real, a lot of really good people. I, and I say it all the time, like, like 
from so many different angles. I mean, for example, you look at Roberto Luongo. I've said it a million times, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame goalie, Hall of Fame guy. Just like when you, you meet him, he's a great goalie and he's, you know, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame type goalie and might even be a nicer guy. I mean, he's, yeah. he couldn't be any nicer. And, and then you, you know, then you look at uh, another broadcaster that I've really admired for a long time, Kenny, Kenny Albert and had a chance to, you know, my first season had a chance to meet Kenny Albert when we were out in New York because he was doing, doing the game and like sat and just shot the breeze with him for like a half an hour. Like we've known each other for years. And it was, it was like, you know, it's like, wow, you're like the most versatile broadcaster in the whole world. You call everything on the biggest <laughs> stage and you're like the nicest guy too. Um, you know, it was just really, really cool to get to, uh, to know him like that. Yeah, I guess when, when when you get to do something that you love so much and you're happy all the time, it's just kind of infectious and it just pours out. So you mentioned earlier that you grew up a big baseball fan going to Tigers games. Um, and I know that baseball remains a big part of your life now. Would you say you're as big a baseball fan as you are a hockey fan or maybe more so? For me, I look at it as, you know, hockey, they're my two favorite sports. Hockey's my favorite sport that I work in that I'm around every day and, and baseball is my favorite sport that I can just kick back and be a detached observer of. And, uh, and I love them. I love them both. And I love uh, the way that I consume both of them. But uh, you know, for, for me, for baseball, um, I, just, I got into it as a young kid and um, you know, going to tiger stadium and everything like that, I had a chance to go to the last game at tiger stadium, which is still one of the wow. coolest things I've uh, ever experienced. I was a freshman in high school and uh, my dad pulled me out of school for the afternoon so we could go to the last game at tiger stadium. But uh, that was that just growing up being a baseball fan in Detroit, there were some, some seasons where, you know, I was wanting to go to tiger games all the time and they weren't very good. And people would say, why do you, why do you want to go? You know, why do you want to go to that? Because I love it. And, uh, but uh, you know, I grew up a huge baseball fan and to this day, so this is something that a lot of folks out there might be some people on, on Twitter and, and, and things like that who've caught wind of it. But, um, one of my best friends and I, we do a baseball trip every summer and he's also a hockey broadcaster. So it just worked out well in the schedule for us. That's kind of how it, uh, you know, we both love baseball. We both had the same months of where things were flexible, where we could go take a baseball trip. And uh, Adrian Denny, he's the radio voice of the Tucson Roadrunners in the American Hockey League, the uh, Coyotes affiliate. And uh, he and I met my first game in the ECHL when I was with Idaho and he was with the Utah Grizzlies. And so he was the uh, visiting broadcaster, my first game in the ECHL. We met my first game and uh, we've joked that we've been in a 13-year uh, conversation that's been going on ever since <laughs> that night uh, because we, you know, we, we text all the time about whatever and whatever's going on that day. And, uh, you know, we, we meet up, uh, you know, a couple times a year and always for the baseball trip. But we started, we call 2011 the year before the modern era of the baseball trip because that year we just went to one doubleheader in Cleveland and then one game in Pittsburgh. The doubleheader in Cleveland, oddly enough, was the day that there was an earthquake in Cleveland. We were sitting in the outfield. We didn't even know. And, yeah. and then, uh, but anyway, we, that was 2011. We started 2012 was the first real baseball trip. We went to, I think, six different ballparks on that trip. And okay. at this point, I am down to just Houston and Seattle. Those are the only two that I still need to go to. We even, and this past year with how um, unorthodox the 2020 baseball season was, 
we still managed to fit in a baseball trip because the World Series was being played in Arlington, Texas. There was a limited capacity that was going to be allowed in. And we saw that there was that game three and game four were going to be on a Friday and a Saturday night. And I, Adrian and I talked about it. I said, you, we, we decided he was going to go for, uh, or it was a Saturday and Sunday, decided he was going to go for game four. I was going to go for game three. We were going to try to get tickets the old fashioned way, just going online, hitting refresh a bunch of times. And fortunately I got through and got us uh, got us tickets to game three of the World Series. So we were able to make the baseball trip happen uh, this year, and or I should say last year in 2020 by getting out to a ballpark that neither of us had been to, the new uh, Globe Life Park there in, in Arlington. It was beautiful. We also went and saw TCU play Oklahoma in a college football game that was uh, attended uh, by a limited capacity. So we were able to fit in our sports road trip. But yeah, I'm down to, down to two ballparks that I need wow. to get, two active parks that I need to get to. Now, you see, I don't know if you if you know this about me, but I'm also a veteran of the baseball road trip. Uh, yes, I, I believe you mentioned this before. Okay, yeah, I, my dad and I have done a few where, uh, like, a two week trip, a three week trip, and we. Wow. It yeah, it it was crazy. That's hardcore <laughs> when you're going like two weeks at a time. No, for sure, and it was a different ballpark every game. Like, obviously, you've got to mix in major league and minor league, but I mean, that's that's part of the fun of going on a baseball road trip is visiting the minor league parks and. And, you know, you talk about like going all the major league parts, but like one of my favorite things is getting the food at the minor league and just kind of like dealing with the different cute little quirky things that they have there. So it's, it's just like, it's another lifestyle, really. It's very cool. Yeah, we, uh, we've come to really enjoy it. We've got our routines. We've, we've uh, got our places that we've, you know, considered to be the, uh, you know, the places that we just like to gravitate toward. We call, we call Chicago the capital of the baseball trip because they have two major airports it's very accessible and they have two ballparks right in the city and they have another one about an hour and a half north in milwaukee so for a lot of reasons it's very conducive to a bit to a road trip so we uh we jokingly call chicago the capital of the baseball trip (laughs) but uh one one time just to to illustrate i mean one time we were sitting you know the the white Sox and tigers were going to play us um a straight doubleheader on a friday we pulled up, even paid for parking. We're pulled up in front of, uh, at the time, I think it was still U.S. Cellular Field, but we pulled up on the south side for the White Sox Tigers, and we found out that game one was rained out. There was no rain. And, but we looked at the forecast. The forecast was not favorable. So it's a preemptive rain out. So we're looking at, we're like, okay, game one's rained out, and it's not raining. Game two is on as scheduled, but at about eight o'clock at night, it's supposed to start raining and it's not going to stop. So on the Friday before Memorial Day at 3.15 p.m., Adrian, Denny, and I make the decision, we're driving to Milwaukee. (laughs) So we turned north and drove to Milwaukee because the Brewers were playing the Diamondbacks and we were driving to the Twin Cities after that game anyways. Hmm. So it was going to be a long night and we figured – if we're, if we drive to Milwaukee, we've already cut out, uh, you yeah. know, an hour or so Killing two birds with one stone there. Yeah. So we're on our way there. So we, uh, on the way bought, the, bought the tickets off the phone and we cut our losses paying for parking at the, uh, at the white Sox game. We hadn't bought tickets yet, but we paid whatever we paid for parking, but we, we decided to make the call and we pulled up at six 30 PM. It took us because of traffic and rain. It took us three hours and 15 minutes to do Oof. what should have been about an hour and a half drive. Rough, yeah. But we knew we're, we're like, you know what? Miller Park, they got a roof. 
they're playing baseball tonight, no matter what happens. And uh, the Brewers and Diamondbacks were playing. And uh, and then our drive to uh, the Twin Cities got delayed a little bit because of a Chris Iannetta home run to tie the game that sent them into a 10th inning. Uh, we were on our way to the exit, but uh, they, but they uh, <laughs> tied the, the Diamondbacks tied the game. Um, and then the Diamondbacks ended up winning the game, and we got to see Fernando Rodney do his uh, – his uh, little thing when he when he gets yeah. the save yep which was uh, which was fun to see nobody so. can see it but i just did the fernando rodney yes yes you did and the best <laughs> thing about it that night and i've always been a fernando rodney fan but the best thing about it was he hit he did the save he did his thing it was a shot that went to the it was a fly out to the warning track it's like yeah, you got the save in the box score, but you were about a foot away from serving up the uh, serving yeah. up a home run. There. He's but, done that yeah, more than once. <laughs> got, gotta love, gotta love Fernando Rodney. So, We've covered a lot here. We've covered Fernando Rodney. We have. On the uh, the, before before I move on from the baseball road trip, uh, that part of the chat. Um, one of the best parts of traveling in baseball is food. Yes. What's, what what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the best snacks from the road? So. It's become just as much a restaurant road trip as it is a baseball. <laughs> no, no, no. Just talking about ballparks. Ballpark. ballpark food. So this is one, this is where, I don't know, this might, uh, this might bother a lot of the folks out there, but oh. our baseball trip, we typically don't eat much at the ballpark because we have so many restaurants in these cities that we like to go to. So really the way the, the way the routine uh, tends to go is the baseball trip routine is get up, go for a run and then at about uh, and then go to lunch and then have lunch and usually have something, uh, something after the game on the, uh, so it ends up being kind of a weird schedule, but uh, yeah, we have, we really have restaurants that we okay become a restaurant trip, just as much of a baseball trip. And for that reason, and maybe to some people, they would say we're not fully sampling every ballpark, but we really don't, uh, we really don't try ballpark food all that much. Well, look, I'm not going to judge for the way that you run your road trips. But, um, so so then restaurant-wise, just give me one or two that pop in your head. Like, what's the best of the best? Uh, if you travel to somewhere tomorrow, teleport there. Where are you going? Probably going to Chicago, probably having an Italian beef sandwich at either Al's or Portillo's or Bona Beef. They're all outstanding. There's a lot of different places. I, we love the Italian beef sandwiches barbecue in kansas city we went there's a barbecue place in kansas city it's the jack stack barbecue um it's a it's out there's a few of them it's great and we were going to a royals game uh, i want to say this would have been 2015 and there was a two-hour wait at the place and we had to get to kaufman stadium which by the way is one of my favorite ballparks yeah. kaufman stadium is awesome um so Love the, like, the waterfalls in the outfield very, oh yeah, very, it, it feels sure. kind of like uh, old school the way that it's built. Even even with the the new, uh, I don't know what the renovations. I guess. Yeah, and the, and if you get if the if it's not a good game, you can you have a clear view of I seventy and you can watch traffic <laughs> go by. But uh, but we were we were waiting to go into the to go into the barbecue place, and they told us it was going to be a two hour wait, and we're like, well, we're not leaving without this barbecue, and we're not missing first pitch. So how are we going to make both these things work? Carry out order. So I placed carry out order and we <laughs> get in the car and then we drove to Coppin Stadium. But Jack Stack barbecue, but in and out burger. In and out burger is the best food in the whole world. Yeah. And I, you know, that's become the uh, the staple. My thirtieth okay. birth, my thirtieth birthday, Adrian and I drove from Las Vegas. We we 
we started the day in Las Vegas. We had In-N-Out Burger. We drove to Dodger Stadium, saw the Dodgers play the Diamondbacks, went to In-N-Out Burger in Santa Clarita and drove back to Las Vegas. That's my 30th birthday. What's your go-to In-N-Out Burger uh, menu order? Hidden menu? You know, I'm asking, what's your go-to? I usually just get, it sounds, sounds pretty, pretty plain, but I usually just get uh, three hamburgers, fries and a drink, maybe a shake, Neapolitan shake, if I'm feeling wild. And that's a hidden menu item. Neapolitan shake. I'm not a big animal style guy. I don't dislike it, but I kind of like it the way it is rather than that. Hey, you can be a purist. Yeah. So speaking of purists, something that that maybe uh, takes a lot of us back to our childhood that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, I know you're an avid baseball card collector. Yes. Or sports card collector, but mostly baseball, right? Uh, baseball would be my, my number one that I collect, but I love my favorite things are really any baseball. Um, I try, I, I really just like to collect. I'm a big rookie card guy. Um, and I really like vintage hockey stuff. Okay. When you say vintage hockey stuff, like actual old hockey cards or new cards that have pieces of memorabilia in them that are old. Oh, actually, actually really like actual, like, um, like a Gordy Howe type. And it's, it's a, that, that's a part of my collection that I would like to like to continue to uh, work on. Um, just really okay. like, I really like vintage stuff. And uh, it's just to me, like all cards are cool, but like a lot of the vintage stuff, it's like artwork type stuff to me. That's kind of, to me, like that's, uh, I view those as like pieces of art. Almost. Well, they're cool. super rare too, right? They're relics. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're relics from the past. So, I mean, I have a, I have a handful of like, uh, you know, Bobby Orr and Gordy Howe cards and stuff like that, that, uh, from from way back when and uh you know stuff that my dad and i collected you know that we acquired back in the 90s and stuff like that so but yeah i i collect uh, a lot of baseball cards like right in front of me i it's pretty diverse i mean right in front of me just (laughs) talking to you right now i've got like there's a uh, a Bengals team set over here that's sealed because i like joe burrow and um so he's so there's yeah and i'm like over here here's a lamello ball card um, we get a new Lamella ball card. And then right next to me is, uh, the full series one set of the new tops baseball that just came out, uh, not long ago. And, um, there's some hockey stuff in here too. So like right within arms, arms length, I've got, uh, you know, all four major sports represented right here. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, it's the same. I I'm kind of at my desk here, but I've got, I haven't probably bought any new cards in a while, but I've collected up until maybe like 10 years ago for a long time. So I've got, between what my dad and I collected, just so many cool things. Um, the one card that's, I guess I could, you know, like I was going to ask you, like if you, if there was a fire and you can only save one card from your collection, what would it be? Like, I thought of that looking at the Dan Marino rookie card that I got forever ago. And it was just kind of like the coolest card I have growing up. And it was always like my Marino rookie. Yes. Like, do you yeah. have a card like that? You know, I, the first one that comes to mind is my Gretzky. I have a top Gretzky rookie, which would probably be like, that would probably be the, that there's that one but at the same time like i love the tops i love the gretzky rookie but there's so many other ones that come to mind like it would be so hard to pick one because i mean for any for anybody our age the 1989 upper deck ken griffey jr rookie um yeah is just like that's a that's like a holy grail card for for people our age and it's one of those cards that people who don't even collect cards probably know what that card looks like yeah, uh, or, or have seen that card before. First of all, because they made so many of them, but second of <laughs> all, because it was, it was really sought after. And if you were to make like a Mount Rushmore of baseball cards, 
you know, it might not be the most valuable one. It's a, it's a, it's a pricey card, but the, uh, but the Ken Griffey Jr. 1980 upper deck rookie is so recognizable and iconic. It's, it belongs on that, uh, on that Mount Rushmore of baseball cards, uh, you yeah. know, all the time. So there's that like, and then there, the other thing, this is one of the great things about collecting. You do it the way you want to do it. And, you know, you, you collect what you like, collect what you want. If, like I mentioned, uh, like, you know, you pick a, pick a player, pick a team, pick, uh, you know, whether it's a position, you want to collect goalies, you want to collect quarterbacks, like you, whatever, whatever you want to do, you can do it your way and you'll never, there's no wrong answer to it. You never lose. And I've got five uh, binders right here of all goalies. Yeah. You do what makes <laughs> you happy. And it's, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, and then you remember once you really get into it, or maybe just ripping packs. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your thing too. Like whatever, any way yeah. that you want to do it. And then you start to remember the stories that go with where you acquired things, yes. you know, why you got something, where you were when you got something, if it was something you got out of a pack, if it was something that you bought single, if it was something that you had great foresight on, like, man, I knew this guy was going to be great. I bought a bunch of his rookie cards. He turned into a superstar and like I was the I I called it I knew it but, you know there were there was, there's all those different kind of stories and it's what it's just uh, adds to the fact that you you do it the way you want to you do it the way that it uh, that it makes you happy and and you can't lose on it. No, it's it's been fun and it's it's cool. Just like sometimes I'll find myself flipping through a binder that I put together when I was a teenager and all like you were just saying like all those memories just kind of flood in as you yeah. remember how you felt putting it together and oh yeah I, this is my book of Rodor's Cujo's and Patrick Laws and I just that I mean growing up in South Florida as a hockey fan hockey cards were like such an important part of being part of the game because you couldn't go to the sporting goods store and get like your hockey equipment or you even going to the local hockey the card store hockey cards were few and far between so that was really your exposure to the equipment and to all the different players and it was, it was a big deal for me. Yeah. And I, I think for me as a kid, I remember the first, first pack of cards I ever got. I wanted a pack of baseball cards. I was four and my grandma went to the, I, I told my grandma that I wanted a pack of baseball cards. And then the next time I went to my grandma's house, she had remembered that. And when she went to the grocery store, they had them. So she gave me the old cello pack that remember that you got, you probably got a stack. It was probably like 30 cards. Forget how many they put in those, but they were in the cellophane, like yeah, it was like the fat like pack, shrink wrap type thing. It was like, like a fat pack there, and you uh, you could see the top card, you could see the bottom card. It was oh 19, yeah, yeah okay. It was it was nineteen eighty nine tops baseball. I just all I remember from it was I didn't get any tigers out of it. That was all. That was that's all I remember from it is that I didn't get any tigers. But that was kind of that was that was like I still remember that was my first first pack of cards it was a cello pack of 1989 tops baseball my grandma got me at the grocery store That's and nice. then it would have been like probably not long after that um 1990 pro set hockey cards I was at 7-eleven with my dad and they were on the counter and uh, and I got a couple packs and I remember getting a, a couple of I got a couple of red wings out of it and like from that point forward I was just hooked and my dad and I collected you know throughout the 90s and, and like you asked me what some of the my favorites are like being a you know being from michigan you know being a lions fan my whole life like my barry sanders 1989 score rookie is just one of my that's one of my all-time favorites and like i said i've got a handful of gretzky's like the project i'm kind of working on not, not in a major hurry because i kind of want to wait till i can go to card shows in person again right. uh, but like 
I'm kind of working on piecing together the whole timeline of Gretzky tops cards. So wow. like it's, I, I've, got first, I've got the first <laughs> three, which are the first three base cards, which are like probably the toughest ones to get, um, you know, in terms of just like they're, but the, I'd like to find, like I said, I'd like to, I'd like to piece that together. You can never have enough Gretzky cards. It's always been. No. Well, always you really want a challenge. You could do tops and Opeachy. I don't have the bankroll for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There's, you know, those start to, those start to get pricey. Yeah. But, uh, but the, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'd like to work on that. I'd like to, there's a couple of those that I've just been thinking about like for a while. I'd like to, I'd like to piece together the timeline of Walter Payton tops cards. Um, because he's, I have, because I have the rookie card. Um, I'd like to piece together just the, the timeline of Walter Payton tops cards, because he's one of those athletes that like, I didn't get to watch because I was too, I mean, he was finishing up his career. I would have been like a toddler, you know, yeah. so I didn't really get to watch, but one of those guys that you just, you just hear so much about. And he kind of like, you know, he was just such a, not only was, is regarded as, you know, up there as one of the greatest running backs of all time, one of the best football players of all time, but you know, there's a man of the year award named after him. So, um, you know, just one of those guys that's kind of revered on and off the field and, um, you know, I, I, so I've been, been collecting, uh, you know, been collecting some of his stuff on, uh, you know, from time to time, Shaq was the first player I ever really collected, um, you know, in terms of just collecting a player, he's my favorite athlete ever. Yeah. His rookie cards were big in 92, 93, I think it was. Yes. 92, 93. Um, I've got, I've got them all. I love, I love the big man. He's, he's great. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and Peyton Manning, and that was the other thing, like I, I collected, collected Peyton Manning stuff. And, uh, you know, after Peyton retired, it was like one of those things. I, and I knew it was coming. I said like, man, when Peyton retires, it's going to be like, I, I got to pick another, like, I, who's going to be my next guy? Like, who am I going to, who am I going to follow? It's going to be my, my new player that I'm going to follow. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it took me a while, but, um, you know, now, now I'd probably say like, obviously I love the lions, but, uh, you know, from a card collecting standpoint, I like to pick a couple of players that you, that you like to just chase down, that you like to collect. And, um, you know, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, those are probably the two guys that I've just, uh, you know, collect, just kept trying to pick up as many of their cards as I can from time no, to time. Can't really go wrong with those guys. Pretty good choices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He so also I got like, two I like, two. You got to pick guys you like watching play, guys that you want to root for, you know? You see Tua play down here a lot. Maybe he can add him. Yes, I've been. I've, been, I've got. I've got a good amount of Tua cards. They're all. They're all. Uh, they're all in a, in the other room here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but I've been collecting a good amount of Tua cards when I get them. Uh, like some big big rookie card guy. So uh, you know, I always always like collecting the rookie cards. But uh, yeah, I, I I like Tua. I like Tua. Nice. Well, Doug, I'm gonna wrap it up because we've already been going for like an hour. I just want to say thanks a lot for joining me. I know we were trying to trying to get on the same page uh, schedule wise oh. to do this for a little while, but uh, I figured we'd have a pretty fun chat. So I really appreciate uh, your time, brother. I'm glad we were able to make it work. And uh, anytime, I, I'm sure we, you know, we'll always have more stuff we can cover. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, happy to hop on anytime. I'm glad we were able to make it work. Everybody, everybody out there knows that uh, this, this season's schedule is just jam packed. And, uh, and sometimes we have a, we have a hard time finding that downtime, but, uh, but uh, I'm glad we were able to able to make it work and we'll definitely do it again. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me and uh, and hope everybody out there uh, enjoyed at least some of my stories. <laughs> nice. Nah, good stuff, man. I think it was great. Uh, so thank you. And, 
And yeah, I guess that that's going to do it for episode uh, 32 of the Chirping the Cats podcast. So again, a huge thank you to Doug Plagans. You can catch him as the radio voice of the Florida Panthers and also on the uh, Panthers official podcast, Territory Talk as well. Make sure to subscribe and check out Doug and his co-host, Jamison Olive. It's, uh, it's always awesome every Wednesday. I look forward to that. Um, and also for me, be sure to check out my Panthers coverage on local10.com or the uh, Local 10 app as well. Or follow me on Twitter at David's Work for daily coverage of the Cats. Um, feel free to subscribe to the podcast. Good ratings, four stars, all that fun stuff. But again, thank you to Doug. And uh, until next time, everyone, please stay safe, wear your mask, be well, and uh, stay cool. Take care.